This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there. Welcome to Life Elsewhere. Coming up, a conversation with Jason Yamas, author of Tweaker World, a frank, honest memoir detailing Jason's personal account of addiction and how he became in control of the entire crystal meth market for San Francisco's gay community. Now, this could have been a tell-all, scandalous, X-rated exposure of a world alien to most of America. Instead, Jason Yarmus has crafted, well, yes, raw graphic scenes, but at the same time, he gives us a first-person account without glamorizing or sensationalizing. He doesn't preach, nor does he retreat from all of his diabolical behavior. This is a conversation that will inform, perhaps enlighten. It may certainly shock some listeners, but I ask that you listen carefully with an open mind to everything that Jason Yarmus says. Because this is such an important conversation, I decided to do something a little different by not introducing another topic or guest in the following 60 minutes. Instead, I've selected music to not distract from the conversation. Music intended to aid you in digesting the landmark narrative of Jason Yarmus. Details about the entire music selection are up at lifeelsewhere.co.
My guest is Jason Yarmuth. His book is titled Tweaker World, a memoir. Jason, welcome to Life Elsewhere. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm going to do something a little different. I want to start at the back of your book, the very back of your book, where you, you give us a note from the author. And this, I think, is very important because I was thinking about how we would go through this conversation about your book. And I thought, well, I've got to get this in. and I don't want to miss out on it. And you say, this is a story about trauma, finding shelter in the throes of addiction, about the dehumanization of crystal meth, and about the mind's determination to save itself. This book is my telling cry. Being an ally doesn't mean outfitting in rainbow sequins and shaking your hips at pride once a year. We need you to understand what's happening in the dark. Those That's words right. Are- those words are so incredibly powerful, and all the time I'm reading your book, I didn't know that's you, what you were going to say at the end, but all the time I'm thinking something like that has to be said, and you said it, and so thank you so much for doing that. L- please, go ahead. Absolutely. So just to correct you on one of the words, it's rallying cry. This this book is my rallying cry. What did I say? Is. I didn't. I, I think didn't... you said telling. I think you said telling cry, which which is, <laughs> which is, is OK that it, it would have worked. But but I but I really wanted to make sure that we drove home. It really is my rallying cry. Oh, and, yes. But I purposefully put that at the end of the book because. I wanted to make sure that this book did not come across as holier than thou or a recovery manual or I'm I am not in the place to sit here and tell people what they should be doing about addiction. All I can do is give you what happened to me and what's working for me now. Uh, so, so yeah, I put that at the end of the book because I didn't want people to be scared away and think, oh, okay, you know, he's going to preach to us and 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 give us all of his theories, and you can get the the truth can get lost in a lot of um, caretaking that we think we need to do. Yes. So, Jason, let's get into it and explain sure. to my listeners what this book is about first of all the title tweaker world for those that do not know can you explain what we mean by tweaker and tweaker world certainly Uh, a tweaker is a term used to describe a crystal meth addict my my particular tweaker world as i'm sure that there are other different types of tweaker worlds out there my tweaker world existed within the queer community within the gay community in san francisco uh many people don't know but crystal meth is one of the most popular drugs utilized in gay culture uh it's often combined with very dangerous and risky sexual practices for a a number of reasons mostly uh it it tends to lower inhibitions and allow people to engage in in their sexuality in barbaric, uh, excessive ways. That um, that for many people, many gay people who have grown up feeling shame around their queerness and around their identity as a gay person after being ostracized and made to feel other by society, they will feel shame around. Uh, 
the, the simple engagement with intimacy and sexuality and, and love. And uh, crystal meth gives people the permission slip to be able to engage in that uh, sexuality, but then it goes too far. Uh, yes. And it's it's been, you know, it's known that, that there's a lot of uh, substance abuse within the gay community and alcoholism and, and addiction are, are rampant, but crystal meth has been growing in popularity more and more, especially with uh, the hookup apps and the sex apps and, and internet and how accessible everything is now with our iPhones and our Androids in our hands. Um, it's been able to spread more rapidly in recent years. Yes. And one of the things that you just uh, talked about there is the iPhone apps and all the other different things that go on in that realm. Uh, and something that ties in with this that you talk about in the book at great length, and that is all the different slang and abbreviations and, and things that if you're not in the know, you wouldn't know, but you go into them in a great in great detail. And, and I don't want to go through a list right now, but... Sure. It's something which for, for somebody that isn't in that part of society is going to be standing back and going, oh, my goodness gracious, I didn't know that. And I didn't know this and I didn't know that. It's Some of it, it comes across as being, and as I'm sure you understand, as being kind of, oh, gosh, and people's eyes bulge out. Yet, at the same time, my take on your book, Jason, is that it's very explicit in one respect, yet it's not crude or gratuitous. And I was wondering, I was wondering, you say, oh, and I'm wondering what you think about that. I say, oh, because it made me emotional uh, to hear you say that because uh, it is a it is a fine line because a lot, because the feeling can be crudeness of going yeah. through it. And I didn't want to drag people through the mud of, of the agony of some of the things I witnessed. Yeah. Uh, when, from rape to all, all kinds of of horrible abuses that do occur uh, in in the throes of this addiction, but uh, I did try to temper it with with levity uh, where I could and humor uh, where where it was at all remotely possible, and and try to infuse my naivete, uh, uh, which was very prevalent <laughs> as I was learning about this world, and, and try to take you on the on the journey with me. Uh, so you could see it as I was seeing it, but uh, but to try not to scare anybody away at the same time. I, I, I really did take the time. Uh, a lot of queer literature, and I read a lot of queer lit, a lot of queer literature assumes that the reader is going to be queer and thus in the know on a lot of things. And I wrote this, so I hope that those that are could still enjoy it, but that the suburban mom or uh, or, or whomever you know uh, will will pick it up and also be able to stay with it and and, and not uh, have to have to quit it halfway through and and be able to understand the jargon. You know, as you started this this question by by addressing all of the coded language that occurs on on the internet, so that this addiction can hide in plain sight. Uh, yes. it's 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 like tweakers <laughs> meth addicts um unlike heroin and fentanyl and and downers you know they can be very uh creative and and tricky uh you know it's they're up most hours of the day they're not it's not like when, when they're shooting up and and you know drooling and falling asleep and nodding off 
Uh, you know, the tweakers find find all kinds of creative things to do. And 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 I don't, I don't necessarily mean positively creative, although some of them, some of them do. Yes. You know, everything you're saying there, I totally agree with. And, and I just want to sort of give you a little kudos in the fact that you you make it so in your book. You, your chapters are, well, they're short, but they're so informative. You write in a way that is almost... It's almost like a documentary, yet at the same time, we're seeing everything in first in first person through your eyes. And that's a difficult chore, I think. Chores may be the wrong word. But it's, that's a difficult task because it's not a chore. That's a difficult task to do, but you succeed in it very well. You take the reader into situations, yet you also are able to sort of stand back and give us an overview, which I find so interesting how you managed to do that how did you manage to do that it did feel like a chore some days <laughs> while writing it 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 was very painful to to rehash a lot of it uh because you'd, you'd soon for, uh, rather forget the a lot of what occurred and, and put it aside but it was it was showing up with me in my nightmares, uh, in my in my daydreams. Uh, I, I had to get it out. I had to put it on the page, and uh, just to be able to remove it from 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 my consciousness um, and give it a, a different life, and and just to shine the light on it. Um, was able to clean it for me in a, in a way. Uh, I don't think I'm answering your question. Rem Sorry, remind me, no, remind you, me no, what you... the base of the question was. Oh, my, my question really, I guess, it was, was how did you make the decision to be the observer and the documentarian at the same time? So I was a documentarian going into this world. And as I was witnessing it, I kept thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, if I get out of here, which I, I was sure I was going to, although I became less sure as time went on, um, I, I kept saying to myself, I, I have to, I have to make a documentary about this. Particularly, I think I bring up in the book, uh, you know, you and I are, are right now communicating over Zoom. Yes. And Zoom is a huge part of the party and play chemsex subculture that I write about before it became uh, the modern vernacular to be able to say, uh, I, I, let's Zoom later today, as if as if you were saying, let's call or FaceTime. Zoom used to be very unknown. Very few people used to use it. They, you know, maybe people in suits, uh, business meetings would, uh, yes. would have, you'd have um, corporate gatherings from across the world on Zoom. But in the early or the 20 tens uh the this party and play community had usurped this platform and used it as a voyeuristic paradise that the, this this digital uh community where where tweakers could meet up and watch each other have sex and watch each other do drugs and encourage and egg on other people and it was it was mind-blowing to me to see how this area of cyberspace was being utilized in the, in this way and not being shut down and and uh sliding under the radar of whomever checks on these types of things uh you know drugs were being exchanged and uh, it's it was just it was mind-blowing as i was seeing it so i thought to myself oh i i have to i have to convey this i have to make a documentary on the other side of it and then as time went on 
and I got deeper and deeper into my addiction and, and then into drug dealing, I started to tell myself that I was going to write a screenplay about it all, which was both a combination of me trying to hold on to my previous identity as a filmmaker, but also trying to justify how I could be making such outlandish, irresponsible and dangerous choices. Uh, so I knew throughout my entire time that I was there, that I, that I was going to end up documenting it somehow if I was lucky enough to escape prison, death, or uh, a mental institution, which luckily I was. Um, yes. So I felt that I had the responsibility to do that as a storyteller and as a filmmaker and as a documentarian. But I also had the wherewithal to because I was absorbing the information in such a way that that output was always in the back of my mind. Yes. And in the book, you make that very clear. There's some sequences that you talk about. I think this is in one afternoon or evening where you're a share driver riding for uh, driving and, and you get into two accidents uh, uh, because you're just, as you say, you're completely out of it. You're so sort of wound up. The way you relate those stories is is so incredibly graphic and perfect. Yet at the same time, you're kind of like hovering over the situation and telling us like like you're looking down and seeing it. And it's it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful device. And I, I'm I'm just so pleased that you did that and how you did that. You know, I started writing the book in past tense, which was the most comfortable way because yeah. it existed back then. And I can and I can write about it as the past. But then yes. after I had written a first draft, I sat down and I rewrote it in present tense. And yes. once it was out of me, I was then able to revisit it again as if I was going through it. And yes. and just just changing the tense of the prose was a I was able to dig so much deeper into the visuals and the emotional layers of what I was enduring in, in each of these highly intensive moments, whether it was car accidents or, or falling uh, asleep while driving. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. name it. <laughs> I just want to remind my listeners that I'm talking to Jason Yarmus. His book is titled Tweaker World, A Memoir. And I just want to focus on that for a moment, a memoir, because I know a lot of people reading about your book are going to say, is this really a memoir or is some of this just imagined? Is, is some of this made up? Where, what's going on here? From my perspective, having read the book twice as it happens, oh, this is real. This is not made up. This is not fiction. It's not fiction, no. In an earlier version of it, it my my initial draft of this story was over three hundred thousand words. The final draft that people will read uh, is ninety thousand. To get it there, to make it comprehensible and understandable and digestible for readers, I had to combine some characters. Yes, I had. I yes. knew. I knew three different people that did identity fraud at a professional level. I combined them all into the character of Stanley. I was in two different car chases. I combined them into one. One of them, there was no, there was nobody shooting at us. And the yes. second one, there was. I, you know, I combined, I combined things. So I took 
liberties while trying while doing everything I could to make sure to uh, uh, uphold the integrity of what actually occurred. Uh, but no, it's, it's certainly not fiction. Uh, I believe there there's a, a, a NBC article coming out this week, and the journalist w- is is contacting people from that world to corroborate it. Uh, I believe uh, as we speak right now. So so yeah, it's uh, uh, I can understand why that would be something of concern, um, especially after uh, a million little pieces. I believe was the memoir from years ago that was on Oprah's list and then it yes, came out yes. that he had made up the entire thing. And I think it had to right. be uh, reconsidered as fiction. It's not, it's not very common for people to come out and confess to crimes and, and sexual abuse and, and everything at, at, at such a degree. Uh, I, that's what people have, have been worried about for me. Um, I felt that there was no other way to tell the full truth of what occurred without without giving all of those details. In the epilogue, you talked about characters, some of the characters in the book, an amalgamation of different characters into one. But in the in the in the epilogue, you give us, a, 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 I guess, an afterwards on on what's happened to some of the characters, and I really appreciate that. And I think anybody that reads the book is going to appreciate that. I just want to touch on some of the code, and you mentioned this earlier. Party and play. For my listeners, can you just explain what party and play means? Of course. So crystal meth, uh, back in the day, uh, folks may remember when I was a a kid, I would hear about crank. That was during the the heyday of crack. There was crank and crack. Uh, So crystal meth used to be called crank. At some point, they changed it to, at least in the queer community, to the name Tina cutesy nickname that they that drug addicts love to give the drugs that they're doing cutesy nicknames to kind of take the low the the heaviness away from them tina is shortened to a capital t often on these apps where where they're advertising these drugs so party is usually spelled with a capital t party and play and it means to get together with other gay men that are either smoking or in in injecting or ingesting crystal meth to some degree, often in conjunction with another drug called G that I go into in the book. That's uh, a lesser known drug, but uh, probably not for long if we don't do something about it. It's these men, usually men, not always men, but, but, you know, because, um, but queer people gathering uh, to have anonymous group sex while, while, doing these drugs uh often very unsafe it can it can grow to become quite violent uh sexual acts as well uh which i speak to why it escalates to that degree in the book as well but that's what party and play is a euphemism for it sounds cute doesn't it party and play you see that and you're like, oh i'd like to party and play sure and that's that's one of the last things I say in the book is, you know, why did I have to write this? Because there's some uh, young impressionable queer person on an app right now being asked, hey, do you want to party? And yes. that sounds like a fun time. But here's the reality. I've got 289 pages right near that. Right. That I'll tell you that's not so cute at the end of the day. Jason, one thing that comes across in the book and that you describe a about your daily life and how, despite the fact that you're a tweaker and you're doing all the things that you're doing, you are to some people or to a lot of people seemingly functional. Can you talk about that? Yes. It, so crystal meth has uh, different effects on different types of body chemistries. It also, uh, some people like me 
uh, never want to sleep. I, I ran from sleep all I could. I would go entire weeks without, without sleeping uh, but an hour or two. There are meth addicts. I recently revisited uh, San Francisco and, and, and visited some of these characters, which is something that I don't recommend uh, other clean and sober or sober addicts do to, to revisit the addicts that they once engaged in drug use with. I did it as a journalistic pursuit. Uh, I did it out of curiosity. I did it to, to go see these folks who, who I created characters around and I wanted to confront them in a positive way and say, Hey, you know, I, I don't want you to feel exploited. Here is this book that I have coming out here. I want to read you some excerpts from it and, and look them in the eye. Uh, I didn't want to have them just be devalued and feel exploited. So, but in my revisiting, um, I was able to, to see, you know, some of these folks, they don't desire leaving. And they're not in psychosis. Like I went into a, de a horrible debilitating psychosis because I never slept and, and the amount of drugs that I was doing and the amount of crimes that I was doing, the paranoia and the sleep deprivation, it just grew and grew and grew until my psychosis turned into something that was just completely unmanageable. That doesn't happen for everybody. Some people will never go to the mental institution. Some people are not committing crimes. They won't get necessarily arrested. Some of these folks intend to stay in addiction for the rest of their lives. So they manage it and, and they are able to stay functional uh, and hide in plain sight. They go to get, they go to work and you have no idea that your plastic surgeon, for example, might be a tweaker. Your mailman might be a tweaker or, you know, your barista, uh, you don't know. Um, so a lot of them can hide in plain sight. I was able to do that for the first several months but the uh the more i turned the volume up in every single way of that lifestyle uh, it became impossible i'm sure i'm sure anybody that saw me toward the end was able to identify me as one of those zombies that never yeah. sleeps jason there are a couple of people that you talk about in your book that i'd like you to talk to my listeners about go as far as you want and, and that is your mother and your brother very important characters in the story. Can you just give us just a little take on on your those two characters? And they're not characters. They I mean these are real people. They are. Yeah. My my mom is a yogi and uh, uh, very into new age and spirituality and qigong and uh, so she couldn't she couldn't be more the antithesis of what I was becoming as this book uh, as you know this book was occurring. Yeah. Um, and, and yet she is a kick-ass, uh, uh, Italian American takes no shit from anybody, uh, kind of woman as well. So she, when she found out about my addiction, uh, she was doing pretty much everything she could to get me out of it. And uh, she wasn't going to stop until she did. And she did enlisted my brother's help. They they had an intervention for me. They they did everything they could to to get me out. But um, boy, uh, I, 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 I kind of. I, I got very emotional when you brought that yes, up. I was talking. Yes. I was talking to them this morning about doing this interview, and uh, I'm just so relieved that um, 
my mom at her yoga studio uh, in in Malvern, Pennsylvania, is having one of my book events next next weekend, and she's ordered books and she from the wholesaler, and she's selling my book, and she has such pride around that. She has such pride around the fact that she can uh, tout my success story that I came out of the dark and into the light, and uh, and that she can sell that book next to her "Life Is Good" T shirts and feel proud about it. Uh, and I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved I could. I could give that to her because the abuse and the torture that I put them through and the lies and the manipulation, it's just, it's heart wrenching. Uh, it's heart wrenching what we will do to the people that we love and the people that, that would do anything to save us. Um, it just, it breaks my heart. You know, there's something in your book that come that comes across without you in so many words saying it, that emotional feeling that you have towards your brother and to your mother and to your father you say it in so many words without actually saying it just the way you did just now. And I, and and again, this is where I want to want to give you lots of kudos for, for writing. Thank you, Norman. My guest is Jason Yarmus. The book is titled Tweaker world, a memoir. Here you are talking to me with such verve and such, such energy and you're clean. Talk to me about becoming clean. Sure. Uh, Everybody does it differently. Uh, I can tell you that 12 steps work. Uh, they, they were not for me. Uh, I, I did not end up choosing to stay in a 12-step program. That uh, does not mean it doesn't work. I know it does. Uh, it just wasn't for me. I was always going to be a speed addict. I still am. I get up and I take a four-mile walk with my dog, and I go to the gym, and I push heavy weights, and I stay active, and I'm writing another book, and I, that's just who I am. I, yeah. You have to be honest about who you are, yes. and you have to fill whatever the drugs were filling. If you can find another outlet, and for me, it's many different outlets. I have to stay as busy as I was when I was uh, a, a, a drug dealer. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I... If you can fill that, then at the end of the day, you can rest easy. And, uh, and I don't find myself wanting to, there, there's the triggers, they show up. I'm not, listen, I don't think I'm, I'm different than other addicts. Uh, the, the triggers, they show up. But if you have somewhere to put it and you can stay busy and stay focused and stay in love with yourself and stay accountable to those you love, stay accountable to my, my dog and my best friend and my, uh, my brother. And, uh, you know, I, I do, I, I, I'm highly communicative. I practice radical honesty to the best of my ability. And uh, that's what it takes. It just, it takes being radically truthful, uh, to yourself on the other side of it. Besides that, and that. A lot of that takes place and for people that will do the 12 steps and, and do it with a sponsor. A lot of what I just said occurs within that program, too. You said earlier that the book, the original writing of the book was much, much longer than how the book ended up. Yeah. Was this initially because of your own editing before you took it to an editor? How, how did that progress? How did that work? Uh, so yeah, I knew it was way too long. Uh, yeah. so I, I chopped it probably in half and then I started sending it out cold queries out to literary agents yeah. and very few literary agents were willing to even look at something this explicit, this queer, 
Uh, I was told by many agents that memoirs only get sold uh, by one, one, one agent said, uh, I noticed that you are not a circuit lecture darling or a YouTube phenom. So the chances of having a best-selling memoir are pretty much zero. Sorry. You know, the, yeah. I got these types of responses. I yeah. did come across one um, trailblazing agent who said, you know, it is too long. But I, but I'm interested. Get, get it shorter. Get it shorter. Get it shorter. And he kept uh, nudging me in that direction. Uh, bless his heart, Ross Harris. And uh, uh, I did. I just, I just kept trying to ask myself, what is the most vital information here? What can be combined without being lost? And uh, and then I stripped, I stripped a lot away. And then during edits with my, with my edit, my editors at the publisher, they actually helped me add more to it you know they they, uh, they said here i yes. i see that you're describing this and then you're telling us the truth as you know it what is the deeper truth you know so uh, um yes. it was it was looking at once it was all down on the paper then you can you can look back and go okay i know i know that's the truth i was telling myself what's the truth i know now yeah yes jason i i'm thinking that you and I could probably talk for another couple of hours on on a lot of different things pertaining to addiction, pertaining to the the gay life, not necessarily in San Francisco, but across across the world. Yeah. Because it's this is very important because I think there is a general overview in you know, having spoken to so many people over the years, I still get the feeling that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what goes on in parts of society if you're not actually involved in it. And I would love to explore that with you at some point. So I'm just going to do this right now and say, let's get you back on the show at another time and, and have a conversation about more stuff. Norman, I would love that. Perhaps we could do that during Pride Month. You know, I think that that's a really great, uh, really great time to to bring up yes. some of these topics. Yes, that would be fantastic. Okay, before I let you go, mm -hmm. I know this. It was a difficult time writing this book, wasn't it? But once you had finished it, once you saw the printed cover once once it you know the publisher sent it to you and you went oh here's my baby i've i've given birth now just tell me what that was like just tell me did was it kind of like oh, just relief or or what just give me a couple of words about that yeah uh throughout this whole process i've carried an immense amount of of sadness and guilt yeah. and shame around those who I hurt, uh, namely my my partner at the time before my as my addiction was getting worse, uh, whose name in the book is Kurt, uh, my family, uh, some friends that had to take space, some for a short period of time, some forever, uh, and I've carried so much sadness around that. But I felt that by having this book go out into the world, I was doing all I can to to make good on that. Uh, you know, some some relationships you just you can't remediate them. Uh, and I'm not somebody who likes to go out there and tell people how they should live their life. But if I can give 
folks whose family members or loved ones are suffering in these ways a bit more perspective on how they can deal with that type of addiction, how they can try to help their loved one, then I've done something good. And yes. that, 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 that really, that, that felt good. Very quick question. Have you, yeah. since the book has been uh, in preview, I, I, when does it actually come out? It comes out in... March 7th. March 7th. Okay. So we're just a few days away, really. Yeah. Have you, ha have you had any detractors? Has there been anybody that said, oh, you, Mr. You, Mr. Jason Yamas, I don't like what you've written because you're making, you're giving a bad name. So I, 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 just give me a little take on any detractors. It hasn't happened yet, Norman, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm sure there will be. I, and we'll discuss it uh, when we when we talk in June okay, <laughs> during yes, Pride Month yes, because yes. they're coming. I'm certain they are, and I'm very curious to see uh, what issues people have with the book. Um, yes, uh, and I'll happily address some of them uh, yes. with you here. Uh, the other reason I ask that, of course, Jason, is because when you write a book so so explicit in some respects you, uh, about a certain part of community, you are, are going to sort of set yourself up for other people to sort of go and wave their finger at you. And particularly in, in, in the gay society in, 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 in this, well, not just this country. Uh, and there are sort of people that take a very sort of definite kind of almost like, how could, how could you be taking that view when you're one of us? It just, it seems like a, a weird thing I, I've always thought, but that's me. I say the opinion. same to them. I say yeah. the same to them. How can you yeah. be taking the view that it's all picket fences uh, just, yes. just because gay, gay people can get married now? Uh, it, it does not erase decades, centuries, really, of agony and pain that have grown into the epidemic of shame that is the black cloud over the queer community that manifests in all sorts of different ways, all sorts of different addictions. This is one of them. It's the one that nobody was talking about besides a few journalists in the UK before this book came out. So yes. I thought it was my responsibility to. So if, if anybody wants to say, how could I, I, my response to them would be, how could you not? Yes. Well, as we close, I'm going to give you lots of accolades and tell my listeners this is is a terrific read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. it, it Thank it's, you, Norman. Mm. It's it's something which I highly advise anybody that wants a good read to read. But if you're interested in certain parts of culture, that's another good reason. But particularly if you're interested in somebody's struggle, somebody's um the parts of life that sometimes we don't address openly and we really don't talk about. And, 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 and Jason does in Tweaker World, in this memoir, he does it so well. And it's a, it's a, I mean, as I said, it's a terrific read. Jason, thank you so very much for joining us at Life Elsewhere. Thank you so much for having me. This is Life Elsewhere, hosted by Norman B. Let us know what you think of our show. Send your comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O.
this is mommy. Just calling to check up on you and see how your day was. Hope you had a great day today. Um, miss you. I miss our ramen. I miss our walks. And I miss our funny show. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll talk to you later. Alrighty. Bye.
You have been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind the scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Thank you.